So if you brought a Bible with this, with you this morning, or if you're going to be uh, following along on your phone or tablet or whatever, if you would go ahead and make your way to the first chapter of the book of James. And I'm so excited to begin this. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm so excited to begin this series of messages with you today, and I believe that as we open this book, and that's what we're going to do, and it's going to be a little bit different, but we're just going to open the book of James, and we're just going to drill down into it. We're just going to drill down as deep as we can, see what God wants to speak through his word, and we're going to go through a little bit of it today, and then we're going to kind of hit a pause and and unpack some, Um, but I believe that as we really open this book and, and look at the words that James wrote to the Jewish believers who were scattered around the country, we're going to see some truths released over our lives that maybe we've never seen or experienced before. And um, we're just going to let the words of James take us on a journey, if that's okay. And, and they're going to take us on this journey. We're going to bounce all around the word of God. So if it's okay with you, let's just jump straight into scripture this morning. In James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Now, Pastor, that's that's a good word, Pastor. That's good. That's good preaching. That's good stuff. Let's read that again. It's so powerful. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's so great about that? Why are we pausing there? Can we just continue to read so we can get to the meat of James? No, I love that that something that both James and Paul have in common in their letters is at the very beginning, right off the bat, at the start, before they dive into it, and this may not seem like a big deal and it's something that we blow past, but but it's it's a major statement in that they identify who they are in Jesus right from the beginning. They identify who, this is who I am in Christ. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? It matters because in a world where we are so often defined by our social status, defined by our finances, defined by our skin color, defined by our job, or defined by anything else, James is making sure right in this moment that he is identified not by what the world sees him as or by what the world says he is, but rather by who Christ says that he is. And this is big for us because if we can learn how God identifies us and really lean in to how God identifies us, we will always find just what we need to continue going. But if if we lean into how the world identifies us, if we lean into how the world sees us, if we lean into how the world says that we are, we will 100% of the time end up disappointed because we're never going to be popular enough. We're never going to be famous enough. We're never going to be rich enough to satisfy who the world says that we should be. But when we begin to to identify ourselves in Christ, we find the fulfillment. That's what we need, right? Fulfillment that the world can never offer. And we're going to read this passage, and it's kind of where we're going to park 
today, and I, I know you're going to love what James goes on to say after this powerful verse. I, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he just really, he unloads it here, and it's so fantastic, so powerful. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now here's the thing. The last thing that you or I ever want to do is consider it joy when we're going through something. But the word of God is declaring to us, speaking over us today, that we need to appreciate the things that we go through. I know this is hard. I know this is not what we want to hear. I know this is not probably how we want to be encouraged today. But the word of God is saying we need to appreciate the things that we're going through, because not only does it produce perseverance in us, but it prepares us for where God is taking us next. When we lean into the struggle that we're going through and say, God, I don't understand it, that's okay to say. God, I don't get it, that's okay to say. God, I really don't want to be here. I really don't want to be going through this. That's all okay to say. Let's be real with God. But we also need to be able to say, but God, if this is your will in this moment, I'm okay to walk through it. Because I know that there is a purpose in this pain, and I know you've got something on the other side that you're preparing me for. See, when we're facing a situation in our lives that feels awful and feels terrible and feels like we're never going to make it through, a situation that feels insurmountable, we can have confidence that God is producing in us. we got to get this, church. We can have confidence when we're going through times of pain that God is producing in us something that we're going to need down the road. God is producing in us something that we're going to need later on in this journey. In 1 Peter 1 Verses 6 and 7, it says this. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These people were going through it. These people were being killed and beheaded for their faith. Stoned and imprisoned. It says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God's, we, God's desire for your life is not that you would come to faith in him and remain the way you were with the same understanding that you had before you met him. His desire for your life is that you would grow in maturity so that through your life, people are seeing Jesus 
And so that we can see that it's only in his power, it's only in his might, it's only in his strength that we can come through these trials that we face unscathed. James goes on to tell him in verse 12, and we are going to bounce back to what we skipped, but we're kind of hanging in this area today. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We got to understand here again that the believers that James is writing to are facing extreme trials that are hard for us to even begin to fathom in our culture. They're being shunned, imprisoned, stoned, beaten, beheaded, crucified, and tortured. Why? Because they were bad guys? No, because of their faith in who Jesus was. Because of their faith in the resurrection of Jesus. So if it seems like James is kind of harping on trials and on perseverance, it's because he is. But why? Because trials and pain And circumstances, I believe, have the power to be one of the biggest things that will pull us away from our faith. So James wanted to make sure that they understood that what they were going through and the persecution they were facing was not without a purpose. It says in Philippians chapter 2, second part of verse 16, Paul writes this, he says, And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And that's a a good passage, that's so powerful. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. I love that he's echoing here that we have to know that what we've been through isn't in vain. What we're facing now is not in vain. And what we're going to go through is not in vain. Jesus said it himself in John 16 that we're going to have troubles. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will face persecution. That there is going to be pain on your journey. We might not want to hear this, but let's be real about it. That's the way it is when we walk out of these doors today. We can be as encouraging and happy-go-lucky as we want in here, but the reality is when we walk out of those doors this morning, there's going to be pain on our journey. But thank God he didn't leave it there because he said, even in all this, even in all the junk, even in all the hurt, even in all the mess, hello, even at the attorney's office, hello, even in the doctor's office, amen, even in the treatment center, amen, even in this season where it feels like everything is crashing down on us, Jesus said, but take heart, take heart. We can have hope because he has overcome and we are overcomers with him. John 16, 33, we just kind of unpacked it. It says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but I want you to know that in me you can have peace. Why? Because I've overcome the world. And as James, moving back to 
to his letter, as, as he opens it, we have to see that not only is God producing perseverance in us through those trials so that we can become the man of God or become the woman of God, that he has uniquely designed us to be. Do you know that God has uniquely designed you to do something for his glory? God has, I'm not just talking to the ministers in here. I'm not just talking to the pastors. I'm talking to the construction workers. I'm talking to the business owners. I'm talking to you in whatever. I'm talking to the moms. I'm talking to everybody. God has uniquely designed you to do something for his glory. So not only are the trials producing perseverance in us so that we can do what he's designed us to do. But we've got to see that even in our trials, even in the darkest night, the God of heaven is right there with us. The God of heaven is with us in our pain. The God of heaven. So, so the first thing I want us to see this morning, and this isn't really like a laid out bullet point message. Like I said, we're just kind of unpacking the word. But, but the first thing that I want us to see is that God produces in us perseverance. And that God is using what we're going through now to prepare us for where he's taking us. That's the first thing I want to see. But as I was reading through this first part of James and, and preparing this, um, I was thinking about God being with us in our suffering, and I, I couldn't help when you think about this, but go back to the 23rd Psalm. And, and as David is running from Saul, running for his life, Saul is literally trying to kill him. He's hiding in caves. He's in constant danger, and he writes these words, and they are so powerful on their own. But in light of what he's going through, they are absolutely earth-shaking. And he says this, this is kind of where we're going to land for a few minutes today. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. But you don't have a place to live. You don't have a place to stay. You probably don't have all the foods you need. You probably don't have the clothes you need. He said, no, 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 I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though, even though, he didn't say even if. He didn't say it might happen. He didn't say if, if something happens where I got to go through. He said, he said, even though. I walk through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I love that he doesn't shy away from the fact that he is walking through the darkest valley. I love that he doesn't feel like he has to pretend that everything's okay. Because we get in that area in our lives, right, where we feel like we've got to put on this show before God where we just pretend like everything is okay and we use our big holy words when we're praying to God. And really, God wants us to just say, yeah, I'm going through it. Yes, I'm in pain. Yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I am in the darkest valley. I'm not shying away from that today. Everything is not okay in my circumstance, and it's okay to recognize that. 
It's okay to be real and raw and honest with God about what it is that we're experiencing. Okay, what are you saying? I'm saying that God doesn't want you to hide from him in the valley. God wants you to cling to him in the valley. God doesn't want you to hide from him in the valley. He wants you to cling to him in the valley. God wants you to know that whatever you're going through, that you serve a God that is right there in the middle of your mess. He's with us, and he is there to give you peace and to give you comfort. We pick up in verse 5 where David writes this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Again, David said, yes, I have enemies. Amen. There are people trying to take my life, and yes, they are around me, and yes, they are present in my story at this moment, but God, I also see that even in the presence of my enemies, you've prepared a table for me. Even when I'm surrounded by my enemies, my cup is overflowing. What does that mean? Well, what does it mean that his cup is overflowing? It means that even in the presence of his enemies, even when everything that he sees is trying to tear him down and take him out, he has a peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because he knows that right there in the middle of the battle, his God is with him. He knows without a doubt that he is surrounded by the God that created him. And God that breathed everything into existence. And I want, I want to finish here this morning a, a passage from 2 Kings that I thought was so powerful. And what, what we're going to see is, is that the... This nation is about to try to attack Israel, but when they try to attack Israel, their plans get messed up every time. And the king's like, I don't understand why this keeps happening. And one of the um, advisors to the king goes to him and says, I'll tell you why it keeps happening, because there's this prophet named Elisha, and this guy knows even the words that you speak alone in your bedroom. This guy knows what's up. He knows what's about to happen. And so the king is like, okay, well, Scott, let's take that joker out. Let's just kill him, and then we can move on with our plans. And it says, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, I will set up a camp in such and such a place. I love that. I love that the Bible doesn't go into detail here. I'm just going to set up a camp in such and such a place. Amen. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Armenians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. And this enraged the king. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. Who's giving out information? Who's telling them what's happening? None of us, my lord said one of the officers, but Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he's in Dothan. Amen. Nobody wants to be in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. 
And they went by night and surrounded the city. So he sent an entire army to get one guy. He's like, we have got to take this guy out. This is not a send a couple mercenaries deal. He's like, load up the horses, load up the chariots, take off and get this prophet. And then it gets so good. Let's receive this today, church. They went and surrounded the city by night. And when the servant of the man of God, the servant of Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. The servant's freaking out. He's like, man, they're good. There's no, we're not getting out of this one. We are surrounded. Surrounded. And they're coming for us. He's like, what are we gonna do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Receive these words today, church. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It what man? What if our prayer is we stand to our feet? What if our prayer became, God, open my eyes that I may see? Because the same thing that was true over Elisha, I'm here to tell you today is true over your life, that those who are with you are greater than those who are against you. That the God of heaven is on your side. That when it looks like you're surrounded, that we need to lift our eyes to the hills where our help comes from and see that there are chariots and horses and angel armies surrounding us. But we get so fixed on the circumstance. We get so fixed on the moment. We get so fixed on the pain. never open our eyes to see that God is doing something, that God is moving, that God is with us, that it's for us, and if God is for us, then what? Who can be against us? Who can be against us? Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. So often our eyes are closed to the reality of what God's doing in our story because we're so focused on the enemy that's in our valley. And God wants us to know, everybody in this room today, everybody watching online, God wants us to know that if we'll just fix our focus, if we'll just recalibrate our, our, our eyesight, if we'll just look beyond our circumstance, we'll see that He's with us. That we'll see that 
even when it looks like we're surrounded. changes from God take me out of this situation to God open my eyes to the reality that my story isn't over and allow me to sit down and rest at the table that you've prepared before me in the presence of my enemies and he closes out this psalm with a beautiful declaration if we could just read it I believe that for somebody this is what you need to know from the word of God today One of the most powerful passages, powerful truths in all of Scripture. He closes out the 23rd Psalm with this. Surely, surely, surely. Somebody say surely. Surely your goodness and your love. Some translations say your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we declare now, I don't feel it, but God's goodness and love is chasing after me. My situation says differently, but mercy is running after me. It might not match up to what I'm experiencing in this moment, but I stand here today in confidence that there is help in the valley and that no matter what comes against me in my story, it is not stronger than the army 